The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. This mystery is profound, St. Paul says. This mystery is profound. He's talking about the mystery of marriage. Of course, he doesn't mean it in the way that you and I and popular culture often thinks of marriage as being mysterious and the sort of men are from Mars and women are from Venus and why don't we understand each other kind of a way. Of course, there's a lot of mystery there in figuring out the opposite sex. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's not the kind of mystery that he's talking about. He's talking about this mystery, that something which is so mundane and really ordinary, something that people have been doing since the beginning of time, getting married and forming families, that something so common is actually profound, far beyond our imagination. I often say to couples who want to get married, I don't have to convince you that marriage is a good thing. This is why you're here in my office. But what I do need to do is explain to you, show to you that marriage is actually much, much bigger than you realize because no one, no one realizes how big marriage is, especially in this world, this world of ours, which has taken marriage and reinvented it in every which way so that it can be whatever you want it to be. No, in fact, marriage is something that points us to a wonderful, mysterious reality. And this is why marriage is so important. It's something that Jesus talks about frequently in the Gospels. It's something that was so important in Old Testament times and in Paul's epistles. It comes up again and again and again. Here's why marriage is so important. Of course, because it is the foundation of society. It is by marriage that we have families and that society and communities are built. But there is something, something much bigger. St. Paul explains to us that in marriage, we see a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus, the perfect groom, and the church, the bride that has been perfected by him, presented to himself spotless and without blemish. Somehow, this ordinary thing that you see all around you day in and day out, somehow that is a reflection, or at least is meant to be, a reflection of the gospel, our source of life, the very fact that Christ laid down his life for the likes of you and me. Marriage, 
is much bigger, much, much bigger than anyone realizes. That's true in the world, because by this gift to the world, the world actually can see something, just a glimpse, an incomplete glimpse of God's love for us. But even more important in the church, marriage is essential in the church, understanding marriage, looking at it properly, seeing the reflection of God's glory, his gospel in marriage is so important for the church because when marriage goes wrong in the church, we risk giving up the gospel. Whatever corruptions enter into marriage in the church also corrupt our teaching of the gospel. These two things go hand in hand. We can see it throughout the history of the world. And that's not something that just happens by chance because, of course, marriage, the devil knows, is essential. Essential to society and, more importantly, essential to us understanding the gospel. The devil knows it. And so he attacks it. He attacks marriages that exist. He attacks people who are considering marriage. He attacks our ideas about marriage through and through. You don't have to lead, I don't have to explain to you the ways that the world is doing this violently in front of our eyes. The devil is always after marriage, trying to distort it and pervert it, especially so that we lose the gospel. Now, you can think about the really violent ways that the world attacks marriage, that the devil attacks marriage in the world, but today I want to talk about some of the more subtle ways. I want to talk about them specifically and clearly because it's worthwhile to preserve the gospel. Without marriage, without understanding marriage, we risk giving up the gospel because, again, marriage is meant to reflect the gospel. There are four specific areas that I want to talk about, and I'm going to give you a trigger warning here in advance. This may make your ears turn red, but please, please bear with me to the end. Because the point that I'm trying to make today is not, is not we are just in a terrible state, we're just going with the world, everybody's in ruins. That is not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is this, that in the church we have hope. We have hope because Christ has wed himself to us. Because Christ, Jesus, gave up his life for us. We have hope, even though we get marriage wrong. Even though we struggle with marriage, Christ has given his life for us to rescue precisely his people from that affliction. And that is all the more reason for us to strive. To aim at something better. To aim at something which actually does reflect Christ and his glory. So here are the four areas that I think are worth talking about time and again, especially because our world comes after these hard. And they're subtle, and it's easy for us to go along with them. They are headship. That's number one. Number two is sharing a common faith with your spouse. Number three is sex outside of marriage. And number four is divorce. Again, bear with me. Bear with me because the point is comfort. Whatever makes you uncomfortable in what I'm about to say, the point is comfort. So stick with me. The first one comes straight out of our epistle lesson. Paul talks about headship as being essential to the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus is the head of the church, even as a body has a head. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus didn't exercise his headship and authority? If he didn't take leadership for his church? If he didn't give himself up for his church, if he wasn't willing to sacrifice his comfort, his peace, 
his divine privileges, what if he wasn't willing to give that up for the church? Where would we be? It's unimaginable. That is the very foundation of our life in the church. Or imagine what it would be like for the church not to submit to Christ, not to listen and obey, not to follow and honor the authority given to Christ. It's unimaginable. That's what the church does. The church trusts in its head, its Savior, Jesus Christ. If those things are unimaginable for the church, that Christ would somehow not sacrifice for us, give up his life for us, or we, the church, would somehow not submit to Christ, then it should be unimaginable in marriage as well. Because marriage is to be a reflection of that relationship, of Christ who sacrifices, gives up his life for the church, and the church which honors him by submitting, by obeying. Now, of course, this is very important in marriage for all of the material reasons that we enjoy in this life. Marriage gives great benefits in that a family can support and nurture each other physically, materially. But this is even more important spiritually. Just as Christ continually provides for our material needs through and through, what is more important than the clothing that we wear and the shoes on our feet and the food that we eat and our roofs over our heads, what's more important than that is his spiritual care. And this is where headship, where Christ being the head of the church and the church submitting to Christ and husbands being the head of their wives and wives submitting to their husbands, this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to spiritual things. This is where it is most important that we follow the lead given to us by Jesus. That husbands lay down their lives for their wives and wives submit to their husbands. This is precisely what didn't happen, of course, just as an illustration, in the Garden of Eden. There, everything was reversed. Adam did not take responsibility for what was given to him. And his wife did not submit to the words given by God through Adam. And all hell broke loose since then. That is the foil for what Christ has done for us, giving up his life for us so that we can listen so that we can follow, so that we can trust. This is what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about some sort of a domineering, some sort of a tyrannical relationship of subservience. He's talking about laying down one's life and trusting things that are essential for marriage. And once again, those things are most essential when it comes to spiritual matters, which leads me to my second point. One of the things that is often neglected and which we should sort out clearly in marriage, especially beforehand, is spiritual differences. Is it imaginable that Christ and the church would somehow have different spirits, not share the same spirit? Is it imaginable that they would somehow worship different gods or believe different things about our Heavenly Father? If that's unimaginable, it should also be unimaginable in marriage. That's something that we should work towards, strive towards. Paul tells us, warns us against being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And this is something true in any relationship that you have, not just marriage. Think about the people that you bind yourselves to. If you are bound to someone, bound to someone who does not share your same spirit, the Holy Spirit, you run the risk of losing your faith, of mixing your faith with something else. Even more true, of course, in marriage. It's unimaginable. If it's unimaginable that Christ and the church would have different spirits, then it should be unimaginable in marriage as well. Here's number three. Sex outside of marriage. This is not just a spiritual thing. Marriage is not just a spiritual thing, but it is also a physical thing. 
something that pertains to every aspect of her life. So this is what you heard in Ephesians. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So here's what's at stake with something like sex out of marriage, outside of marriage. It's not just old-fashioned mores that we've moved past. It's not just something that our grandparents or our great-grandparents thought was good because of the culture that they lived in. But these things go together. Just as Christ does not give just some part of himself to us. Imagine that. Imagine if he gave his body to us, but not his word of promise. Imagine if he only gave part of himself to us. What that would mean for us. What is he withholding from us? Why is he holding it back? How can we trust in him if he's only giving us a portion? How can he present us pure and undefiled to himself if he himself is the one who is defiling us? That is true for sex outside of marriage, for living together without marriage. These things reflect a distortion of the gospel, where something is withheld, where there's mistrust, where there's uncertainty about what our responsibilities are toward one another, where the gifts that we have been given, the gifts that we've been given of our bodies and our spirits are neglected. You can see the tragedy that results all around us. It's a tragedy, the same tragedy that comes when the gospel is neglected. When we only hear part of what Christ has to say, when we only receive part of his gifts, we lose the gospel. That's what's true also for marriage. Marriage comes as a beautiful, wonderful whole. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that there is no doubt that these two are two that God has joined together, so that there's no risk that one might leave the other because promises have been made. Think about how precious it is to us that we have a God who makes promises and never breaks them. He makes promises and secures them, seals them with a pledge, a pledge of his own blood. That is our only hope in this world, that we have a God who makes promises and keeps them. Even more, that should govern our relationships with one another, especially marriage. Once again, marriage is a reflection of those promises, promises made with our whole body and soul, not promises made in part, not promises withheld, not promises from which we might escape whenever we want. Marriage forecloses all other options. The whole point is this. You are bound to one another, period, just as Christ has bound himself to us. And that, of course, leads to the fourth, the fourth matter, the matter of divorce. Once those promises have been made, once those promises have been made, what happens if they are broken? Again, think of the example of Christ and the church. What if, when he found us unpleasant, when he wasn't happy anymore, when things weren't quite what he expected, when we don't live up to the promises that we made, what would happen if he left us? If he served us papers of divorce and said, those promises, I didn't mean them. What would happen to us if that were a possibility? we would have no hope. We would be lost forever. How much more should our marriages also reflect that truth? That those promises are a reflection of Christ's love, Christ's eternal love for his bride, the church. So that even when she is the last thing that he wants to be around, or when he is the last one that she wants to be around, those promises hold because they've been made permanent. They're a bond that cannot be severed. Hold this picture of Christ and the church always before your eyes. 
and think about it as you reflect on your own relationships. Whether you're married or unmarried, whether you were married or anywhere in between, think about Christ in the church. Now, I said to you that this might make your ears turn red, and maybe it has, for a couple reasons. One, you might be thinking about stuff in your own life, and that's good. And if your ears turn red because of stuff in your own life, here's the simple answer for any time that happens in church. (laughs) Repent. Repent. Turn away from things that are ungodly, contrary to his will, things that distort the gospel. Repent. There's another possibility with your ears turning red, and I want to mention this because this is very important. If your ears are turning red because you're thinking of someone else, (laughs) and what someone else has done, repent. Repent of your self-righteousness, because none of us, none of us is free from these sins. None of us is free from distortions of the gospel in our relationships. Repent. Repentance is the key to comfort, and here's what I mean. When we acknowledge what God says, when we receive what he has given us as good things, when we see the example of Christ and the church and know that his love for the church is our only hope, it is our rescue from sin, death, and the devil, and it is the sign of God's surpassing love, boundless love, beyond anything we can imagine. When we see that example, why would we not want to imitate it? Why would we not strive to attain that? Why would we not look at the sin in our flesh, the sins against which we struggle, and turn away from them? Why would we not see how they are ugly and how they destroy us and how they hurt our faith and the faiths of those around us? Repentance is hearing God's law, hearing God's condemnation of sin, and acknowledging it, and looking to him for mercy. So here's the comfort. It's the same comfort you hear every Sunday, the same comfort that governs your lives as Christians day in and day out. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. Keep your eyes fixed on that picture of Christ, the bridegroom who gave himself up, gave up everything that he had, more than we could have ever asked for, absolutely more than we deserved. We didn't deserve any of it. Gave it all up to have us with him forever so that we could be living members of his kingdom so that we could be freed from sin and death. Fix your eyes on that. That is your hope. Your hope is not that you somehow make it through life without sin. Your hope is not that somehow you justify your sin in your mind or in the eyes of other people. Your only hope, your only hope is that Jesus laid down his life on the cross for you. Hold fast to that. Never lose sight of that. That is the only way that you can hear things that make your ears turn red. That is the only way you can hear them and still believe. Because you know what Christ is doing. He is rescuing you. He is rooting out the sin in your flesh. He is making the devil flee. He is trying to set you free, even as you are already free. Because you bear his name. The name of the very Son of God. Begin again always in this way with your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the perfect groom, the perfect head, who takes responsibility for everything, our sins, which he need not take responsibility for. He is the one who shares and gives us his very own spirit so that we can be united with him fully. He is the one who gives his entire self to us 
making us holy so that we can be holy before God so that we have nothing to fear, not holding anything back. And he is the one who will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. Hold fast to him and strive in everything you do, in your marriage, in every other part of your life. Strive to live as a reflection of his goodness and his mercy. It's not just for your sake, but it is for the sake of everyone around you. Because in you, in you who believe and who bear Christ's name, the world gets to see the gospel. The world gets to hear the good news that we all need so desperately. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.